when you get to the point where so many people let you down, you kind of build this false sense of, I have to create a persona of who I am instead of this is who I really am. So I always had to be something bigger, something larger than life, something better. I'm a broken toy and nobody wants a broken toy. So I had to create this facade that I was a better toy <laughs> so that people wanted to spend the money or spend the time with me, but not realizing that every time I put on that mask, it became harder to take the mask off. Lee Henson, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. I am excited. This is going to be awesome. So am I. And we've known each other for a couple of years and you've known to be the expert who talks about leadership, who talks about agile. And I would be curious to know, how do you almost introduce yourself or how do you see yourself? Who is Lee? We want to know you. Who is Lee? I think there's probably two sides to Lee. So one of the sides of Lee is someone who is the overly educated, overly zealous, excited to teach and create learning experiences. And the other side of Lee is what I might uh, define as an edutainer. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I love to incorporate entertainment in everything that I do. And I think the big takeaway is if someone asked, you know, what do you do or how do you do it? I would always lead with, I want to provide people with an excellent learning experience or a leadership experience, but I also want people to leave feeling like they had a good time, that it was something that they can take away and walk away and have memories about. And that uh, I hate to call these triggers, but they really are. I want them to have events and things that happen in their life that trigger something in their mind that help them recall something that they may have had as part of the learning experience. All right. And leadership being the one big topic you speak about so much. Let's define it. What is leadership? So leadership for me is the ability for someone to gain a greater understanding of the people that they work with and to act as a guiding light or a North Star. Uh, oftentimes that can incorporate leading by example, but sometimes it literally does mean paving a way or creating a path. And I think that in today's, in today's world, in today's marketplace, too many leaders are trying to craft leadership as a skill set or they're trying to make it a certification or they're trying to make it something that is tangible like something you buy at a store and uh, leadership is more about the way that you build yourself and create an energy that is both contagious and charismatic that other people can attach to so that they can take some of your wealth of knowledge and energy and apply that to what they're doing so that they can be successful. So I guess a lot of the times, Vandy, one of the things I say is when you discover if you're a real leader or not is when you lose yourself in the service of someone else. When you find yourself serving someone else and you, you're lost in that service, you don't even realize how much you're investing. That's when you realize just what real leadership is. That's when it clicks. That's when you figure it out. I love that service massive um you're accomplished so much in your life to this point and i would almost love for us to go back 10 20 30 years how did your how did your journey started what did lee in his 20s wanted to do who did he want to become in this world it's kind of funny because when i left high school uh, one of the traditions here in America is they have what's uh, most likely to become, right? Most likely to become a school teacher, most likely to become this. And uh, in the yearbook, mine was 
most likely to become a radio disc jockey because they thought I was going to wind up on a radio and do this my entire life, right? And at the time, I thought, you know, that would be just such a cool, fine career, right? To follow in the steps of some of my genealogical ancestors, the Henson family, as in Jim Henson, the Muppets, etc. Uh, I can do a lot of voices. I can do a lot of voiceovers. You know, people said I was either going to be either a voiceover actor, an artist, or I was going to be on the radio. And I, I kind of accepted that as my, and I'm using this word, I accepted it as my fate. And the reason I called it my fate was because something happened, Vandy. There was a trigger inside of me that said, I don't know that I want to do that. I don't know that I want to hide behind a microphone or a screen. I don't know that I want to have all that time away from my family eventually. I mean, at the time I had no family, but I didn't know if I wanted to spend that time away. I said, I wanted to help people not make some of the same mistakes that I made, especially early in my career and early in my life. Um, I suffered. I had problems with addiction at one point. I had problems with uh, all kinds of things that happened in my 20s where I just felt like I thought well, everything that I thought I knew and everything that I thought I wanted to do just kind of fell apart. And at that point, I knew I had to create another path. And if you would have asked me, if you would have told me, Bendy, on that day that in 20 years from now I'd be doing this, I would have said, you're crazy. There's no way that would never happen. But what I discovered was that part of me figuring out where I wanted to go on my journey and what I wanted to do required me to let go of control. And that was something that I was not comfortable with. I uh, I lived my entire life trying to be in control of everything. And I think part of that was a symptom of my environment, that I had such a bad growing up and a bad upbringing that, that I, I felt like if I wasn't controlling somebody else was, that things were not going to be what I wanted them to be. And I... I got frustrated really easy back then. And I had a quick fuse and I got into fights frequently. I mean, all these little things. And in my 20s, it was just, I was a mess. I was a hot mess, Mandy, in my hot 20s. In my 20s, I was just a mess. I was a dumpster fire. And I knew that I wanted something more, but I can't say that I knew exactly what it was. Uh, I think the epiphany happened probably when I was 28. When I was 28, um, there was uh, someone shortly before that that I cared about a great deal. And I said some things and did some things that created a really negative energy, created a really negative environment. And I learned at that moment that that person told me, you know, she says, uh, Lee, she says, I just want to enjoy this quiet time with you because this is the last time that we'll see each other. And I thought to myself, oh, come on, you know, and she and she's like, no, really, she says, this is it. And on that night, it was like she cut off everything. And I, I to this day, I, I have not received an email, a text, a phone call, anything. And I built my life differently now. But it was just really, really interesting because I thought the direction I was going and I thought the rebuild that I was doing and things were going in the right direction. But I, I still didn't have control, right? I let go of control to the point where I was letting other things control. So I, I let the pendulum swing the entire opposite way. I went from completely being in control to completely being out of control. <laughs> and I needed to find that solace. I needed to find that center. And this, I think, is probably the biggest pillar of what made me who I am today. It was that search, that quest for the center, the quest for the pendulum to slow down a little bit 
And uh, it was it was just so frustrating to me to see the pendulum swing far left, far right, and to have this this mindset shift all the time. I mean, it was unhealthy physically. I, I gained a lot of weight. I uh, sustained a few injuries. I mean, things were just not not where they needed to be. I think things finally kind of set straight. Things kind of went where I wanted them to go when I experienced loss. When I lost someone who I considered to be a dear friend, when I lost someone who at the time I was considering building my life with, you know, that was, that was that moment when a light switch flipped and I knew I had to do something different. And at that point, I went into this self-analysis phase where I had to figure out who I was and what I wanted to do. But as a result of that, I would argue that that was kind of my we all have, uh, so, so one of the topics that I talk about, and I'm, I'm deviating here on purpose, one of the topics that I talk about in Leadership Summit, I call it four moments. And I firmly believe, Andy, that in our lifetime, we have four pivotal moments. There, there are four decisions that we make. And we can identify when they happen. But these four decisions are the four things that kind of they're the four forks in a the road. They're, they're the things that pave where we're going to go and what's going to happen in our life. And, I, you know, no matter what spiritual or faith-filled background you're from, we all have those moments. And sometimes it's like you feel like you're having this moment. It may not be one. But other times after it happens, you realize that that was one of those four moments. And in my life, this was one of those four moments. It was just one of those things where I said, okay this really happened, now I need to start that journey of self-discovery. And I think that mm -hmm. that probably is the most important piece that every leadership coach forgets. If you're going to speak to leaders, if you're going to speak to successful executives, you need to be able to share these, and it doesn't need to go to the deep level that I just went, but you need to be able to share that not everyone's perfect, we're all human. And we all need to get to the point where we can leverage these decisions and these moments in our life to kind of figure out our journey and, to, and to, to be able to identify when something's not where it needs to be and take action. And I will want to go into how your life shifted from there. But before that, you mentioned control. And I think so many people can relate to needing to control things, myself being one of them, control, mm -hmm. love that, you know, it's a coping mechanism, let's be real. Um, it's also an illusion to an extent, though you brought up your childhood, yeah. that that's what made you have a need for that control. If you feel comfortable sharing what unfolded around that time sure. that made yeah. you need that coping mechanism for yourself. So in my life, uh, I grew up in the inner city of New Orleans, uh, and it, it's a low-income area. And uh, at the time, I was, I was born uh, 14 days before my mother's 15th birthday. So you can imagine what that must have been like. And my dad, who was older, uh, grew concerned and left to join the military because he didn't want to get caught uh, having relationships with someone who was underage. So you can imagine how this all unfolded. My mother had a drug addiction, lied about how old she was. My dad got her pregnant. He left to join the military. My grandfather had a gambling addiction. Things weren't good. Well, my mom went on to do me proud, and she remarried multiple times. And uh, each time, it seemed like 
the stepfather was more abusive or more into different things. And I think for her, it was a quest to find someone that could better support her financially. Mm -hmm. uh, but through that, uh, there were some times where the person had a drug addiction or they were a drug dealer or sometimes where different things happened. So there was a system of both physical and emotional abuse that happened throughout my childhood. And it led me to a dark place. Um, I, I wanted to get away. And uh, when I was 15 years old, I found someone, I, I got a part-time job and I found someone, a manager that I took, you know, a trusting fatherly relationship in who said, Hey, you know, uh, let's, you know, let's get you out of this situation. And uh, he helped me get a fake ID so that I could uh, get an apartment at 15 and get a full-time job because that was the only way I was ever going to be able to get out of this situation. But there were other things that happened as well. So uh, I want to rewind for a minute. Um, living in that inner city, I used to get into fights all the time, all the time, because I was the only light-skinned person that lived in that area. You know, everyone was a different ethnicity. And uh, by force, I wound up going to a Catholic school. And uh, it, it, was a, it was a bus ride away, but it was one of those things where the condition was that uh, I had to serve as an acolyte or an altar boy at that Catholic school. And inside of that program as well, there was a system of abuse. Uh, and, you know, I don't need to go into great detail there, but there, there, was, there was a lot of abuse happening there as well. So it was just one of these things where I didn't have an escape when I was at home there was abuse. When I was at school, there was abuse. And that abuse ranged from physical to sexual to you name it. It's just, you know, everything from, you know, and as luck would have it, I'm left-handed. <laughs> and I don't know, this this will kind of bring some humor into it. So every single day, uh, left-handed is a sign of the devil. So every day they would duct tape my left hand to the desk and uh, try to force me to learn how to write right-handed because that's the proper way to write. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously I did not learn how to write right-handed. And if I detached my left arm from the desk, they would have me go in the hall and serve what they called penance, where I had to kneel on a pile of rice. So they made me roll up my pant legs, kneel on a tile floor on some rice, hold my arms out, and they put a Bible in each hand. And if I moved my hands at all, they would smack me with a yardstick across the arm. It, it was just, it was one of those things where I did that for six years, every day, Monday through Friday for 35 minutes. And when people, when people are put in that kind of situation, it does two things. One, it teaches you to be a little more numb. It teaches you to just kind of not pay attention to what's going on around you. Because if you didn't, it would just drive you crazy. Right? So it just teaches you how to have that separation. And two, it taught me how to deal with pain. It taught me how to deal with anxiety and stress. So even though it sounds like something that's so negative that happened and all these negative things, uh, I, I firmly believe that they're part of a greater path. And although I would have never chosen that path, I think that that path prepared me to understand humility. And I think it also taught me one more very valuable thing. I think that just because someone is vulnerable, that's not a sign of weakness. And that's something that you can't really learn in a school book, right? Vulnerability is a huge sign of strength. And if you understand and you're empathetic, and I, I want to take just one minute to define empathy if I can. Um, empathy isn't just walking a mile in someone else's shoes. I hear people say that all the time. Oh, I've walked a mile in their shoes. I understand. Empathy is walking a mile in someone else's shoes, but you have to remember something very important first, Mandy. You need to remember to take your own shoes off first. And I think that's the key because so many people will walk a mile in someone else's shoes, but they'll do it 
with bias. They'll do it with their own personal judgment or belief or whatever the case may be. And they don't take the time to reset. They don't take the time to take their own shoes off first to really experience what the other person is experiencing. And when you couple empathy with understanding vulnerability, it teaches you about three other key things that, that, that have to happen in order for you to get that pendulum to stop swinging crazy, right? So now we're getting caught back up again. So the three things, one is trust. You have to find a way to build trust. You have to find a way to understand trust and you have to accept that you have to trust other people, right? Especially if you grew up in an environment where you could trust nobody. It's one of those things where you have to understand that you have to have some trust. The second thing you have to understand is emotions. And when I say emotions, the things that build us, the things that we remember the most are based on either really positive experiences or really negative experiences. So when we understand those emotional things and we can relate the emotions to those experiences and we understand how those things progress, it's going to help us, whether we're helping leaders or helping friends or helping family, it's going to help us with that understanding. And then the third one you already talked about, Bendy, it's control. Uh, people want to feel like they're in control of their situation, but just as you said, control doesn't really exist sometimes because the world around us dictates what happens. And I think people have this false sense of either A, needing to be in control or B, needing to maintain control. But I think that when I'm dealing with leaders, the one thing, the very first lesson I have when I'm teaching a leader is that if you want to have empathy, you need to understand emotions, you need to build trust, and you need to understand how control really works. And if you understand those three things, that's going to help you find your North Star. It's going to help you find the direction you need to go. But if you don't understand those three things, it's nearly impossible to have direction. I love that you're very openly sharing the journey, which sounds very tough. And for sure, you know, it shapes you and you can take the good out of it, though, you know, challenging would be an understatement. So I can see how the need for control would be there. So what would, what made you actually want to trust in the first place? Yes, you said maybe the pendulum swung too much in the other direction. But how did you even open yourself up to even let anyone in, you know, given that people have been quite mean to you growing up? This is probably the hardest part of the whole story. Uh... The one time I did open up, the one person that I did open up and trust, that leader, that manager that I was telling you about, I wound up that his interest was more physically in me than it was spiritually in bringing me up. And I didn't understand that at first because I thought that he just loved me as a person. And it was frustrating. It was one of those things where I had to come to terms with the fact that did I really know what love was? And I had to ask myself that question, you know, at the ripe age of 15, 16, while I was in high school, did, did, had I ever experienced love before? And the, the one person that I remember that uh, I really experienced true love, like a, like a real loving emotion was with my grandfather. Uh, so I was with my grandfather and he had a gambling addiction. He wasn't perfect. And he loved to take me to the horse racing track because <laughs> that's where he liked to hang out. But um, but when we went, 
I remember one time he introduced me to someone that was one of his friends. And he said, this is my grandson. And let me tell you just how amazing he is. And he, he went on this path. It was the first time that I'd ever heard anyone say those types of things about me ever. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle it. I was just like, wow, this is, and it, and it was at a point where he, uh, he fought World War II and he was diagnosed with a brain tumor and he had several surgeries trying to remove the tumor and the tumor was uh, close to his optic nerves that are being really careful, but they knew he was going to lose his eyesight and he'd bring me with him places to help him walk and to help him get to where he was going to go because uh, he didn't want to accept the fact that he was going to be blind. So he had me help him get places. And there were times where I would come home late. I would go out with my friends, partying, drinking at the time, doing what I did. And I'd come home late, and I'd never forget this. It didn't matter what time i come home. He would always be awake. And uh, we, we, we finally got to the point where he wasn't gambling as much, so my grandmother bought cable TV. I'll never forget it. It was funny. But he would sit up and watch MTV, music television, and he would learn about the different artists that were like current or hip at the time. And he'd be like, oh, did you hear what happened with Madonna? She just dropped her new single. You know, I'm like, what are you talking about? But it was just so funny because he'd be up at one in the morning waiting for me to get home to talk to me for 30 minutes about how my night was and to tell me about Madonna's new hit single. But it was just, <laughs> but it was just those things, those moments. And, uh, and it was funny because... He knew how I felt and he knew what was going through my mind. And there was a time where uh, <laughs> he says, he'd say to me, watch this. And he'd say something to my grandmother who was like staunch Italian. It was pretty funny, but she would disagree with. And uh, she gets so angry that she'd chase him with a frying pan and yeah. he'd run around the house cracking up laughing and he'd run away from her and it was just so cute to watch because he knew the house pretty well because he remembered it but there was a time we were in smack into a wall and I had to help him. but it was but it was just so funny and those memories are the things that kind of pulled me through because not even when i had trust in a person that i thought i could trust the most was it real trust um so it took a long time it really did and I was very selective. I didn't have very many relationships. The friends that I had were all really, really good friends. I didn't have just acquaintances or pals. I mean, I guess I had teammates because I played a lot of team sports to try to overcome some of the emotions and things. Uh, because let's face it, I had pain. And uh, because I had pain, I wanted to inflict pain. So what better way to do that than to play football, right? So, <laughs> so I became really good at playing football. And uh, that's what I did. And that's how I kind of took out my frustration. I, I did uh, karate in high school. I did football in high school. And, and it was just my way of inflicting pain without getting in trouble, which was a release for me. And I think that, and I've talked, I've talked about this before. I believe when you meet new people, whether it's a new organization you're coaching or a new leader you're coaching, I always teach them about the concept of a checking account. And that when you have too much negative energy and not enough positive energy, you need to get rid of some of that negative energy. You need to expend it because if you just fill yourself with negative energy, you're never going to have room to recognize or feel the positive things that are happening to you. So it's one of those things where you have to find outlets to release that energy. 
And uh, I think sometimes people don't understand that that simple principle either, right? And yeah, that that's kind of where I was hoping this would go. Uh, I, I don't know that I found trust until actually I met my wife, which kind of sounds crazy. But but I don't know that I experienced true trust until that relationship. Before that, it was always I didn't know what to believe. <laughs> and so. We're now at the stage of, you know, teenage years, high school. You kind of started painting a picture about being 28 and surrendering to an extent and maybe trusting to an extent and being let down. How, how did that shape you? Because, you know, being, it's almost, we're almost unintentionally sometimes seeking for evidence to yeah. so like you can't trust people and then you run into the next one and the next one and they just keep proving the concept to you and keep keep living that experience so i call that the recycle bin <laughs> and when i'm teaching leaders about this and, and sometimes it's things that are happening in their homes and their personal lives other times it's things that are happening in their professional lives you can't stay in that cycle you can't stay in that recycle bin uh, you have to figure out how to fight past. You have to figure out how to break free. You have to figure out how to break the cycle. And I think too often people try uh, to live within this, this false appearance of everything's fine, um, you know, without going into too much depth. Uh, a couple of examples that come to mind, Robin Williams, who fantastic comedian, probably one of the funniest men who ever lived. Uh, was so upset inside and so heartbroken that he took his own life. Chris Cornell, uh, you know, singer, music artist, absolutely at the pin pinnacle of his career, had the best voice in the whole wide world. He could cover every vocal range, you know, in the entire spectrum with his voice. Um, so frustrated with his life and with addiction that he took his own life. And I think that when you get to the point where so many people let you down, you kind of build this false sense of I have to create a persona of who I am instead of this is who I really am. And I was at that point where I realized and, and it, it, it broke free at 28. These things happened before at 28 was when I realized that I couldn't keep living this facade. I had to, I had to put tear it on the walls and just put it out there and say, I need to spiritually reset. I need to emotionally reset. And I think that part of this is we, as humans, we don't know how to, and this is going to tie into one of your Barb episodes, we don't know how to properly process energy. And we don't understand that the universe around us has things happening for a reason and that there's an intent to all the things that happen. And you know, I can honestly say that I didn't have that clarity until about a year ago or so when uh, a very, very, very close friend of mine introduced me to someone who who did a reading for me and helped me understand what that energy really meant. Uh, but it, it's just it's one of those things where in our lives, like I said, we have those pivotal moments and I hate to revert back to that. But I think that getting up to 28, it was just one of those things where there was so much uncertainty, but the uncertainty wasn't created by anyone else. The uncertainty was created by the facade that I put up. Mm -hmm. And 
at 28 when my world fell apart, when my world fell apart and I said, I've got to just do something. And it actually fell apart at 27, but at 28, I, I, I knew I had to change some things. And that's when, that's when things started coming together for me. That's when things started to gel because I realized that I didn't have to, and I don't want to call it live a lie. It, it was live a, uh, it's not a lie. It's, it's like a facade. It's a fake environment. It's a persona. I, I didn't have to be something that I wasn't, that I could be who I was and that people would be comfortable with who I was. Because up until that point, I felt like no one cared about who I was. So I always had to be something bigger, something larger than life, something better, something in the front row. The second row wasn't good enough, Andy. I had to be in the front row, you know, and it was just, and, and that's that control that you were talking about. And it was hard. It was hard. Um, there's actually a psychology principle about this. It's, uh, it's called the iceberg, the iceberg factor, the iceberg principle. Have you heard this before? No, please tell us. So the, the iceberg principle is that what most people see is all the things that are happening above the water. They see all the success you have. They see all the fame you have. They see all of the beautiful things that you have in your life, the physical possessions. They see your family. They see all these wonderful things. They see you're strong in your faith. They see that you have direction, that you have clear goals. And they're just like, man, you've got it all together. But if you've ever seen an iceberg, Vendy, the part that you see above the water is about this much. The part that's under the water is that much. And the part that's under the water is all the suffering, the pain, the heartache, the sacrifice, the doubt, the questioning, the journey, the tears, the physical pain, the emotional pain, all those things that happen underneath to help you reach that point. And nobody ever sees those. Those are the things that are just hidden under the water. And, you know, if, if I can liken it to the Titanic, right? The part of the iceberg they saw above the water, they should have been able to clear. But the part under the water was the part that sunk the ship. <laughs> and, and I think that that's, that's kind of where a lot of people get to. They get to that point where they can't get their head above water. You hear people say that all the time. And they drown in their own... They drown in their own attempt to figure out how to get to the surface. And too many times, and I think too many times we try to take on all those things at once. So now I'm at a point where, okay, I needed to reset. I started searching for spirituality. I started searching for someone who I wanted to build a relationship with that was more than just a good looking face. <laughs> I started to try to decide what direction I wanted to take my career in. I started making it known that I wanted to build my life around helping others not stumble in the same stumbling blocks that I did. Mm -hmm. And that I wanted to really leverage the education that I had and the tools that I had to help build other people, to help make other people better to help people not suffer some of the same trauma and trials and things that I had go on. Yeah. So, and that, that, that brought me into the early thirties and that kind of range there. And we'll get to thirties in a minute, but I do want to come back to, I mean, what you're saying about wearing a mask or having an identity, mm -hmm. a persona or an online persona, which is very, I feel like a thing right now. Right. Um, 
we are protecting ourselves by not sharing our whole selves with the world. The same thing, the, the control thing. So typically, you don't really let go of that until, unless there's a trigger or an event or something happens where you have to release what's really not working. Sometimes awareness, I love my somatic coach, Emma, she's like, you don't know that you're holding a hot coal until you have the awareness. You might be holding it all the time because the moment you have the awareness, you'll drop it. But we don't know oftentimes. So mm -hmm. how did that journey unfold for you? Moving around the world, you have a mask. Why change? Why drop it? Why not? Why not stay and protect yourself? I just knew that I had a lot of things and, and this is this once again, the dark part. <laughs> I knew that I had a lot of things, but I didn't have happiness mm. and it didn't matter what job I had or how much money I had or how much fame I had or how much people admired me. None of that mattered. I just didn't have happiness. And when I knew that peace was missing, I was in a pretty dark place. And when I'm talking about happiness, I'm not talking about just day-to-day -day happiness. I mean, that, that's easy. People can have day-to-day -day happiness. I can listen to a great song on the radio and it's going to bring me happiness, right? I can, I can help lift someone up or say a kind word to someone and that's going to bring me happiness. But there's a difference between happiness and fulfillment. And I think that what I thought, when I thought I was seeking fulfillment, I was seeking happiness. And every little piece that I had was temporary. It was just these little, small, just bite-sized pieces. And for me, I can't necessarily say it was a single event. I think for me, it was a culmination of a few things that I started meeting people that I was interested in. I started wanting to have meaningful relationships. Uh, I gave up, well, I gave up drugs completely at like 19, but I gave up alcohol completely at 27. And uh, I just, I decided that I wanted to figure out who I really was because I felt like for some time I had all these other things, whether it was chemical, whether it was substance or whether it was uh, bad friends or whatever it was that was just, everything else was guiding my journey but me. And, and I think that that's the cause of the facade because you want to be the person, you want to live up to the expectations of all these other people. Mm -hmm. And for some of us, it could even be something closer to home. For some people, this, this living up to expectations could be, I want to live up to the expectations that my parents have set for me because my parents expect for me to be a doctor or a lawyer or my, or my parents expect for me to be a certain way. For some of us, it could be uh, my siblings are all successful, so I need to be successful. For some of us, it could just be, and, and I think this is where I was, Andy. So it's not something specific. It's just, I'm a broken toy. And nobody wants a broken toy. So I had to create this facade that I was a better toy. <laughs> so that people wanted to spend the money or spend the time with me. But not realizing that every time I put on that mask, it became harder to take the mask off. Hi. It's almost like the mask had some type of stickiness to it, like a glue. Uh, it reminds me of Phantom of the Opera or, or of uh, the story called Fantastics. In the Fantastics... Uh, the, the young lady in the movie, the, the protagonist, she she wears this mask and she says, oh, you know, this abuse is fine. Everything's great because now I see it differently because I'm wearing this mask, you know, and it's it's supposed to be a poke in the eye at 
the way we live our lives, right? That when sometimes we put on that mask and we see everything different and it forces us to be okay. And I think for me, it was just the one day that I said, and there was no, I remember it was an uneventful day. There was nothing special that happened. I just said, I'm not okay. And I don't know that there was a specific event, but I, I do remember that day. I just said, there are things in my life that need to change and I'm not okay. And I need to tell the world who I am. And I need to rebuild relationships with my mother and my father. And I need to rebuild relationships with my siblings or half siblings. And I need to (laughs) rebuild relationships with people I care about. And it was one of those things where I want to say it was just an epiphany that happened. But like I said, I don't know that there was any physical event or anything that just triggered, like you said. I think it was more just a realization that I had happiness, but I didn't have fulfillment. And that happiness was only temporary and I needed to do something. And, you know, many people tried to guide me and say it was a spiritual withdrawal that I needed. I needed a church in my life that I needed something to hold on to. I needed a foundation. I needed to be saved. Right. You know, and... (laughs) It's funny now that I say it, but um, I went through a period, and I tease about this all the time. I went through a period where um, I had a very dear friend who was a Wiccan witch, and she taught me all about those type of occult things. Uh, I dated a girl who was from a Jewish background. I went to a church with a Christian gal who brought me to the front of the altar where I was saved. Uh, You know, and uh, my point I'm trying to make is... I, I had friends who were Hindu and friends who, so, so I learned all about all the different religions and religious things. And, you know, I, I know that Shiva has no avatars, but, but the point, but the point I'm trying to make is that when you go through this journey and you're trying to just say, is this what's missing? Right. And you're just grasping at straws. A lot of times it doesn't hit you until you have that, that self realization in other words, you know, a lot of people say, yeah, there was this trigger. But even with the trigger, I can tell you numerous stories about executives and leaders that I've worked with that have had the trigger not happen once, but twice, three, four, five times. And they still don't recognize that that was the, hey, dummy, right? You know, this is what's happening. And uh, sometimes it just takes more than what we bargained for. And for me, I was fortunate. I I just... The first time it happened, I said, yeah, I'm happy, but I'm not fulfilled. And what do I need to do to take, where, what do I need to do to take the next step of my journey? And unfortunately, Vandy at the time, I didn't know. It was hollow. It was empty. And I really didn't know. And I'm quite sure there are many people who can resonate with feeling something is missing. Yeah. Because we are feeling our life with external ego-centric things to fill that gap and we don't know where the gap is coming from and we try this and here's a shiny thing and we try everything right and I think it's you do all that and then you almost and we get in there come to a place of you surrender you're forced to surrender because there is like I give up you know mm-hmm. tried all of this and this actually just to get Tad Wee Wu here bringing into human design here I believe you have an open ego. I do for sure. Mm-hmm. And the underlying shadow of open ego is actually very deep down feeling unworthy. 
right. which I've very recently come to learn about myself because you, you, you're not aware of it. That's more of a soul level. And then your ego do, does whatever it can to prove that concept wrong. So you overachieve, you over like do everything. I'm going to build the business. I'm going to have the best grades in school, everything just to prove myself I'm worthy, you know, and that's the ego. And when you're trying to do all of that, you actually come off your path because it will never fit whatever ego comes up. Like, this is the thing. Here's a shiny thing. Something else, please. Like, I need to feel this like massive longing. It just, it won't work, but it's, it's the weird, the awareness, like the actual accepting, uh, oh, this little soul, you know, this little kid, we're still kids inside. This little soul mm-hmm. is actually feeling unworthy and, and is looking for love from yourself oftentimes mm-hmm. first. Yeah. And we don't give that to ourselves. I want to piggyback on something you said real quick. I, I find that more people try to fill every moment of every day with something to compensate for something maybe that they didn't have. And this is a big thing. Uh, I know a lot of friends, especially uh, in in one of the areas. So I have a home in Utah and a home in Florida. When I'm back in Utah, there are a lot of people there who overcompensate. They say, well, I'm going to put my kids in every sport possible so that they can be the parent, the sport parent, or the dance parent, so they're the dance mom or the sport dad or the, whatever the case may be. And they, they go to all these events and sometimes it's to compensate for something they didn't get to do in their own life. Uh, they're living vicariously through the actions of others. But uh, other times it's just, if I don't have every minute filled, if I have any downtime, that's when that feeling that you were describing creeps in, that feeling of inadequacy, that feeling of unworthiness, that feeling of I'm not good enough. So I'm going to find something to fill every single stinking minute of my time so that I never feel that way. And it's, it's overreaction because I think that you never will get past those feelings. You'll never get to the point where you can build things if you don't come to terms with who you really are. And I think that we miss that quite a bit. And you and I both that X, we're both MGs. But, but it's just one of those things where you've got to figure it out. And for me, I did have one of those moments. So when you're ready, I want to make sure I share, because that was a moment. Yeah, Do you want that moment now? Yeah, because I think, I mean, you're right. It's uh, busy, 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 doing the thing, doing the thing, being productive. Just, just please, you know, because again, who are you if you're not doing? Right. You know, we're MGs are known to be human doings. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. We, we just do and we don't feel because don't have time for that. <laughs> you know, it could hurt. You know, you, what if you feel it hurts? You better not even step in there. So exactly. Yeah. I want to stay outside of that. <laughs> I mean, that's me. <laughs> there you go. Um, or have been up until, you know, the last year where I think there's sometimes a period. Well, Again, getting spiritual, there's big transitions happening typically between 28 to 32, where you're mm-hmm. you're forced almost to face yourself. Right. Stop. You're forced to recognize your pattern, and then then you can't fake it anymore because you're like, I'm not that anymore. So who the heck am I? Yeah, and that's so. and that's it's funny because that's the exact range when. So I met my dad for the first time, like really met him, met him, hung out with him at 21. And I tried to move to the city where he lived and tried to build a relationship with him and realized that there were a lot of things that were incompatible about the two of us. 
But it, it, remarkably, here's the magic number at 28. <laughs> uh, I realized that he was an incredible man and that his journey was so awesome and that he tried so hard. And I had no idea. You know, my mom and others would have me believe that he never tried to be a part of my life. But he did, and he had tried all along. And he got shut down by everyone from my grandpa to my stepdads to my mom. You know, he was just constantly shut down. And when I finally got to realize and recognize and meet him and discover the person that he was and discover how amazing he was, that was one of those moments where I said, wait a minute. I'm like, he, and, and at the time, so hear me out here, he was living in a trailer, working in a casino, going to a bar every day and having beer because that was his favorite pastime. And I uh, had multiple dogs and he was on wife number four or five at the time. <laughs> but when he finally settled in and met the person that he knew he was going to spend the rest of his life with and came to terms with this isn't who he was meant to be. And I saw these changes happening in his life and I saw him discover something that I didn't have. I saw him get the prize before I did. And when I watched him go through that period where he just, he says, life's not worth being unhappy. And he said that to me, he goes, life's not worth being unhappy. He says, you got to find what makes you, what brings you joy. You got to find what brings you fulfillment and you got to run as fast as you can towards it. Don't walk, run. And, you know, my answer was, what if I trip? And his answer was, wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> Good. And that sunk into me when he said that. Because recently, like within the last year, I was doing a keynote presentation at a conference in Canada. And I had a young lady there from, uh, from Canadian TV. And she was a comedian. And she's absolutely brilliant. She was so stunning. Um, and she said during her presentation, I'll never forget this. This is something that I asked her permission to adopt and I have adopted it. She tells a story about when she was on vacation in Italy. So she was on vacation in Italy and she says that these gentlemen walked up to her and this lady came over and this lady started asking her for directions and pulled out a map and they were getting pickpocketed. And then someone stopped and asked them if they could borrow money and they reached and realized their wallet was gone. And uh, he says, oh, you better call the authorities quick. I'll give you the number. And the second he pulled out the cell phone, the guy reached out the window of the vehicle, grabbed a cell phone, and the, and the car drove off. <laughs> so now they had no money, no wallet, no cell phone, no anything. And she was panicking. You know, and they were trying to call the police. And the police were just dying laughing because the police were just like, what do you do, right? You know, you're a stupid tourist. But she said at that point she had two choices. She could have just been totally upset beside herself because i mean the only thing she did have was still still with her was her passport mm -hmm. which thank goodness because then she could you know get out of the country yeah. but she had nothing else and she said to herself she says i don't think that you know she's i think if we made this into a movie people would pay to go see the movie so she took on this life this life value and i'm going to teach you this life value because i think it'll benefit both of us she said People pay for the experience. And I've adopted that since I heard it. So when things aren't going well or when things don't go necessarily the way I planned or when things, when I get into a pickle or a jam, I'm like, well, I guess I paid for that experience, right? It's just one of those things where I'm like, okay, you know, it's, and if you look at it from that perspective, right? 
that that you paid the admission, you paid the ticket price, right? And it's a story. And and I think that's the end. The output is the key. That when my dad said, when I said, what happens if I fall? What happens if I trip? And he said, wouldn't that be funny? That aha moment that I had the epiphany last year when she told me that you pay for the experience. And I thought about what my dad said. I was like, yeah. I'm like, I almost want a trip at this point. right? But it was just one of those things where I'm like, each of those events, you know, people pay for the story. People don't pay for everything that you know and for everything that you do. People pay for the story. So if you can find a way to take the events and the things that are happening in your life and Vendy, I am so proud of you for what you're doing with this. The whole deeper knowing is it, it's a journey, but I don't even know that you realize just how special this is and how meaningful it is to the people who are on the other side receiving this because you're giving people an opportunity to hear the story, to hear the full story and to get as deep as they need to so that they can walk away with knowledge and understanding that they may be too afraid to face on their own. You're, you're bringing them to a place where they can be a little more vulnerable, where they can open up and realize that it's not weakness. It's okay. It's okay for you to be in that position because we've all been there at some point. People need to learn to pay for the story. Yeah. We're all uh, human and oftentimes have very similar triggers, very similar ways of coping. Mm -hmm. hiding from ourselves and this for me very much came from my own of like well who am I and what's my purpose and I know that this is a question that I feel like every single human being has had at some point in their life if not multiple times so right. it's like hell let's have these conversations I don't have the answer um we can dive into it and be like hey what are we here to do you know and if we know at our soul that something is not right, why do we stay? It's a story. Yeah. We spin a story. There's a reason we're coping in some way. And, you know, learning to surrender definitely still a process for me. I, uh, I'm always like, to mm, an extent, we'll see. <laughs> but sometimes we need to stay, Bendy. Sometimes mm. we need to stay because sometimes the mission's not over. And I think this is the part that, you know, made me laugh when she told the story about having her wallet stolen, then her phone stolen, then, you know, and, and she said, you know, I could have just chased after the person who stole my wallet and my phone would have never been stolen. She says, but the story wasn't finished. Right. And I think that sometimes we need to walk in and instead of trying to say immediately, okay, time to pivot. I, that's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes we need to stay in that situation because we are being used as a tool to help someone else understand a part of their journey. We're being an instrument. We're being used as a throughput, if you will, uh, a way, a venue, an avenue for people to understand something that they normally wouldn't understand. And I think that as hard as that is for us to, you know, let resonate and sink in, it's still something that's so important because if if we can be a catalyst to uplift someone else so that they don't resort to self-harm or to going to a dark place, I think it's important for us to say, hey, we've all been there and we've all had this as part of our journey at some point. You know, what can we do to really, you know, become centered? And uh, for me, there was probably three centering points that happened shortly after, like that, that 20 to 32 time frame you're talking about. There were three points that happened to me in that time frame that really made me centered. 
So when you're ready, we can go there. I am absolutely. Tell us what 28, we're forced to drop our, we could call this identity, shadow, ego, mask. We all know what we're talking about. We all have one of those. Yeah. You know, so what's happening from there? So for me, there were three events. Uh, so the first event was I needed to, and, and for each, I want to make sure I point out before I say this, that for each person, these three events are different. So just because these were my three events doesn't mean that you'll have, you might have two events or four events and they might be totally different. But for me, it was just three pivotal moments, three events that really hit all at that same time in that 28 to 30 time frame. The first one was I needed to ground myself spiritually in something. And everything that I had around me was not where I wanted to be. And there was a young lady who introduced me to a Christian faith, to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I had an opportunity to learn more about it. And I had an opportunity to ask a ton of questions. And I had an opportunity to do a ton of research. And I found that spiritual grounding that I needed there. And I think that, that without this pillar, without this piece, without this little small piece of the puzzle, and I'm calling it a small piece because I believe in the grand scheme of eternity, that moment in time was only like a grain of sand, right? But, but it was the grain of sand that was necessary to get me to stop worrying so much about the physical self and stop worrying so much about all of the other workings that were going on around me to stop being distracted and to find something to focus on that could get me to a point where I was grounded. And that was the first thing that happened. The second thing that happened was I rebuilt relationships with both my mom and my dad. So I told you about my dad. With my mom, it was more, she she doesn't know how to bury a hatchet. Let's put it that way. She she will hold a grudge for 20 years, right? She's just, she's that person. And I had to tell her that I loved her. I had to tell her that I cared and that I didn't want this life to go by without her knowing, hey, that she has a son that cares. And I needed to open up to her and say, you know, I don't know if you're in the same place as I am, nor do I care if you're in the same place as I am. I just want you to know that I'm here for you. And that was a big step for me because throughout my life, she has only come to me when she needed something. Uh, whether it was financial or physical or whatever, the only time she ever talked to me is when she needed something. So for me to open myself up and say, hey, I want to be more than just that. You know, I want you to be part of it. You know, when I when I realized that we only get one shot at these human relationships and that these relationships that we have now are only going to be for a span of time in the grand scheme of eternity of about this. So we need to figure out how we're going to leverage, capitalize, and uplift others. And, and I think that kind of ties to the spiritual piece because those two things kind of happened in sync, right? And then shortly thereafter, I met my wife, who I've been married to now for almost 25 years. Uh, we have four beautiful children together. And I can honestly say that, you know, after ups and downs, after a lot of rough terrain, after a lot of trying to figure things out, that I love her more today than I did yesterday. She is she is a rock. She's a pillar. And she's somebody that I've invested a lot of time and energy in. And when I say that, I don't mean trying to change who she is, but I've invested a lot of time and energy in understanding who she is. And coming to terms with 
she's different than me and that's okay. In fact, it's good that she's different to me. If she was exactly the same as me, I'd be in trouble. Right. That would be, that would be a mess. But, uh, but it was one of those things where when I figured out that I could be the foundation of something incredible for that moment in time. And when I figured out that I could ground myself spiritually and have these relationships blossom and that I could be more emotionally grounded and that I could find a deeper cause, I could find a deeper meaning. Mm -hmm. And I think the last piece that kind of happened with it was uh, for me, I needed to prove everyone wrong because that's just the, the, the person I was at the time. I'm like, I have to prove everybody wrong. I have to be the first person to graduate high school without a GED. I have to be the first person to get a college degree. I have to be the first person to start my own business. I have to be the first person to own my own home. And, you know, I needed to break the cycle, right? And I did that. But along the way, I would argue that's not, that's not the, the, the pinnacle of success. Along the way, through building my business and through meeting different people, I've met a total of three people. Three seems to be a magic number for some reason. And I don't know the story. Maybe you can explain that to me later. Don't but know numerology, I'm... but we'll find someone and we'll bring them on the podcast. I promise. <laughs> the three, three is the magic number. And I've had three people in my professional career who've really done something for me or who, who've left a lasting impression that made me a better person, a stronger coach, and someone who understands better how humans tick and how we work. And uh, the first person was just a business mentor who, who uh, I, I befriended, who said, hey, he, he was a great guy. And he said, hey, he says, you know, don't go into debt to build your business, do this instead. And, you know, just a really good guy. And I thought, you know, hey, you know, this is awesome. And it was kind of funny because when we started our businesses, he started a business and I started a business and they were very similar. And we started them on the same day. I'll never forget that. We both quit our full-time jobs and started our businesses on the same day. And I still stay in touch with him. I'll get to spend some time with him next week. Mike's a great guy. And uh, we'll, we'll spend some time getting to catch up and getting to talk about things. So, so that was the first person. Uh, the second person uh, was someone unexpected. Um, so one of my coaches who seemed to, how should I put this, be disruptive. And one of the things that she taught me was that you don't need to be, you know, because I always used to challenge people. What do you need to be to be more like Richard Branson? What do you need to do to be more like Elon Musk? What do you need to do? To be? And her answer was, you don't need to be, a, you don't need to be like them. You just need to be a better you. Love that so much. And I was just like, wow, that might be the most powerful piece of advice that I've ever received from an individual, right? And it was from someone much younger and much wiser than me. And uh, she was incredible, incredibly impactful. And the third one also came pretty unexpected. Uh, I was in a position where I was struggling with social media and with trying to get things organized in my life and trying to get things figured out. And I didn't know how to do all these things. I was just, I knew how to do them, but it wasn't good. It was just, it was just me going through the motions and I wasn't getting the results that I wanted. So I soul searched and tried to find something that would help me be better. And into my lap fell uh, someone who I now consider a very dear friend. And she, a little young lady by the name of Miss Vendy, 
uh, introduced me to human design and introduced me to other things that helped me gain a better understanding of why. All this time, I understood what was happening, but I never understood why. And whether it was the why people click on a button on LinkedIn or why people need to see things digestible in a certain way or why I need to use subtitles in videos. No, but uh, <laughs> that's a recent one, inside joke. No, but uh, if, you know, if I could take away one thing from this person, Vendy shaped me in a way that helped me realize that it's okay to step away and to break down and figure out who you really are and to come back twice as strong, three times as strong. And I don't know that I would have ever had the courage to do that without her example and her inspiration. And it's not just because I'm on a podcast. I've been dying to say that. Oh, thank you. It's, you, you know, you know how I see in the world. It's universal energy making people cross paths when they need to I cross agree. paths. And I think you started the exploration and I soon enough followed and <laughs> off the grid. <laughs> Um, but it's, it's needed and it's painful, right? Yeah. But you just, you, you have to take that time. And, uh, what I wanted to ask you is, is you mentioned going to your mom, yeah. you know, extending forgiveness, essentially, and reconnecting with people, finding faith. When did you... When did you extend love towards yourself? As you mentioned in the twenties, you know, I'm, I'm this broken person. Why would anyone want me for who I am? Right. When did that I, feeling happen? Wow. Um, I don't know that I ever put a date on it. I, I think that it was probably one year into my marriage with my wife. So it would have been around the year 2000. So about 23 years ago. I um, I had to come to the realization that someone else loved me and that there had to be some redeeming quality that she loved or else why would she stick around? And we, uh, my daughter was born in October of 2000 and that was probably, so there you go, there's your answer. That was probably the moment when I held my first child in my arms and I had to come to terms with that child was going to love me unconditionally that I brought this child into the world, that this child was going to love me unconditionally, and that how could this child have any love for me if I didn't love myself? If I, if I didn't find out who I was and I didn't love myself, how could I expect this child or how could I know that this child was going to extend me that same grace? And this pure, innocent, beautiful human being who I also love dearly today, she's awesome. But it's just when I realized that the power of procreation really made me feel like, okay, this is real. It, it, it changed everything from being just, oh, I love my wife. We're in this honeymoon period. Everything's great. To do I really love who I am and do I really understand love? Do I understand and really love my wife? And do I love my life? And do I love where I am? And do I love where I'm going? And it ties back, so now I'm going to tie it full circle one more time because I like to do this. It ties to another lesson. So there's a lesson I teach later in my coaching regiment when I'm dealing with leadership. And it's all about 
until you can learn to love yourself and your imperfections, you're not going to be able to extend that love to others. And uh, in the Asian culture, they have a whole, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it, it's, it's run away from me for some reason, where if a vase is cracked or a glass is cracked or a plate is cracked, they'll use gold to fill in and seal and rebuild those cracks and to make it better than it was before. And it looks more beautiful mm. and it's more durable and it's more sturdy. And it just shows you that we all at some point in our life are going to be a broken vessel. Every single one of us at some point in our life is going to be a broken vessel. But if you can't find a way to love the broken vessel, you'll never be able to extend that love to others. You'll, you'll never, it, it's missing. It's, it's like part of the cycle. You can't get from one end of the circle all the way around to the other end of the circle if part of the circle is missing. And the part of the circle that's usually missing is the part that you just described, where you discover that love for yourself. And for me, it took another human being to help me realize what that piece was and what was missing. But when I knew that that infant, that child, was 100% reliant on me to provide it with everything that it needed, period. It could do nothing for itself. It could, it could do nothing, right? And I, and I had to be there. I had to be dad. And I think that's when I, and maybe that's why I called my company Agile Dad. I don't know. And maybe it was something subliminal in my mind. But when I discovered the power of being someone who could extend that love and that grace and that mercy to someone else, that's when I realized that in order for that to be possible, that I needed to be happy with who I was. Mm -hmm. And I think that closed the circle for me. And it, 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 I don't want to say it was the end of my journey. That was the beginning of my journey. And that was when I realized, okay, I need to find things that I love about myself. I need to find things that I enjoy. I need to find things that I can do to extend uh, this, this talent or this hand of fellowship or whatever it is to others so that I can be better at what I do. And that's when I really honed in on some of my public speaking things. In fact, it's kind of funny because that probably around that 2002, 2004 timeframe was when I made a decision that I wanted to do uh, education and speaking, but I didn't know how to get there. I didn't know the path. So I spent several years working for other people, trying to learn from them, trying to figure out what I needed to do. And then uh, I remember, like it was yesterday, in 2011 was when I gave my first presentation of leadership. And uh, at the end, you know, I kind of, I gave the whole presentation. I thought everything went well, but I walked up to the person afterwards who was, you know, uh, in charge or responsible for that. I said, hey, how did it go? And I'm like, well, I guess it was all right. And I was just like, oh my goodness, <laughs> right? you go hurt. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I was like, can someone get the knife out of my back, please? <laughs> you know, but it was just one of those things where, and once again, it was that humbling experience that made me realize, and it made me question, is this the right path? Is this what I need to be doing? But I want to tell you, Vandy, it told me that if I was going to go from being all right to exceptional, that I needed to double down on loving myself, that I needed to figure more things out. That, that that circle was good. It was it, the circle was complete, but it was done with a really fine pencil line, mm -hmm. right? And I needed that line to be thicker. I needed to be more durable. I needed to be something that I had more confidence in. And I found that when my confidence grew, that that's really what helped me go through that process of discovery and love. And it took 
probably better part of seven or eight years to to figure everything out. And uh, during that period, from 2000 to 2008, uh, I welcomed my daughter, I welcomed my son, I welcomed my son, I welcomed another daughter. So at that point, I had four children. And by the time you get to number four, it's kind of like, yeah, okay, I got it. But <laughs> when you get to three, you got it pretty well. But it was just one of those things where each time I held that baby for the first time, or each time I saw just how helpless and lifeless someone was, it made me realize that I had to be that much stronger, that much better. And that for me was probably the catalyst. That was the piece that I said, okay, you know, I, I did this. I brought this upon myself. Now I got to pay for the story, right? And that was it. And and I think that that's kind of what drove me. And I'm happy. Uh, I'm, I, I don't regret. I'm not upset about any of those experiences. And I think those are the things that shape us and make us better people. The reason I actually asked you the question of the self-love uh, is because, and we'll get into this, but you have built a beautiful, successful business, right? So you will receive a lot of praise for in today's culture for the financial success, for how you are, for how you lead. So you're up there, you know, you could say at the pedestal, right? Like right. there's always more to grow into, but you've mm -hmm. achieved a lot. And uh, for better or for worse, seems that most and i never know right but a big let's say a big chunk of entrepreneurs are driven by an insecurity mm -hmm. fear anger rage it is to prove something wrong it is to make prove to yourself that you're worthy it is it's oftentimes fueled actually by what in one of the podcast episodes chrissy called you know toxic fuel and mm -hmm. For sure use this myself i slide in and out of it for motivation like i can for sure get very angry at myself and sure. make things happen what how much of that do you use or you use when growing your business how mm -hmm. has it shifted because i'm i guess in a way not desperately but i'm genuinely trying to find entrepreneurs who build from a different level of mm, power right because there's a book power versus force you can right. force things through you can force a business there's a lot you can force but staying there you never discover how much actually more when you tap into let's say universal consciousness more grace more love how much bigger your business actually would be your relationships your you know love for others all the things because mm -hmm. we're sticking in the lower vibrations i would say so right. i'm genuinely curious of how did your business journey started? Where is the motivation and where is it now? Without any judgment, because I'm going to be the first to say I use the Megato Fuel. Oh my goodness. I'll tell you right now. Yeah, absolutely. In 2012, when I started this business, it was all based 100% on me proving everyone wrong that, that I could do this, that, that I had the tenacity to do it. That uh, I mean, I even made a huge financial risk. I I, I went and spent forty thousand dollars on credit cards to start my business. That's forty thousand dollars, and and you got to realize you, you don't know my wife very well. She is the miser who like watches every penny. So for me to do that, uh, I thought I thought for sure that my tombstone was probably going to be the next step <laughs> I was going to be planning. But uh, but it was one of those things where I did it out of frustration, out of bitterness, and out of discovery. So I told you that Mike and I did it on the same day. When we discovered that we were being paid a certain amount, and uh, somehow a document got passed to us that showed the billable rate that we were being billed at, 
And let's just say there was a huge disparity between the amount the company was making and the amount that they were billing, you know, the amount they're paying us. And I was just like, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. So I went in and uh, we, I'll never forget it. We were both at the desk and we both were like, yeah, well, we're leaving. We're going and doing our own thing. And the manager or the owner of the company, he offered, he says, uh, I'll pay you double. Thinking that that would entice me to stay. But I'll pay you double did the exact opposite. It said, if you're willing to pay me double, that means I'm worth at least double. <laughs> right? <laughs> you see where I went with that? I was just like, whoa. I'm like, I'm out. And at that point, I was angry. I was frustrated. I was, I was just, I was driven. Driven is the word I'm looking for. I was driven. I just, all I was, I just wanted, I could, I could run through a brick wall on that day, right? I was just, I was, oh yeah, I was the Kool-Aid man. I could run straight through a brick wall, shatter it everywhere, right? I mean, that was, that was it. And, and I knew, I said, I don't care how much debt I have to go into. I don't care how many people I have to tear down. I don't care how many businesses I have to crush. I am going to reach the top of this ladder. And it's, it's the dummy principle. I was stupid. I was young. I was dumb. It, it wasn't good. And, and I just, I got to the point where I was holding people to a level of accountability that was ridiculous. Uh, I, I never in my wildest dreams would have held myself to that level of accountability, but I was holding other people to that level of accountability. And I wasted a lot of relationships and a lot of friendships along the way. I burned some bridges. I, uh, I caused things to go in a direction I didn't want them to go. But one of the things that I learned along the way was that anytime I went into an organization, you know, they would, and, and this fueled the fire, by the way, uh, they would always say, it went from being, eh, that was okay, to that was the most amazing thing I've ever experienced. It was incredible, you know, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm, that, I'm two steps up on the ladder, right? You know, and it's just, and I was counting the whole time that I was looking at that ladder, I was counting how many more steps to the top. Then there was a day when I turned around and looked backwards and saw how many people were on that ladder trying to reach with their hand to extend, asking for just a hand up. And my first response was, I don't have time for that. Hmm. And that's when I realized where I was. I'm like, is this the mental space? Is this the head space that I want to be in? And I was crushing it. I'll tell you right now, I was doing good. Financially, I was doing well. Things were going good. But Vandy, I wasn't happy, right? I didn't have fulfillment. I just, I had money. I had a beautiful home. I had the cars I wanted. I was happy. But but I, I wasn't fulfilled. And now I think it was, it was, it wasn't like a light bulb transition. It was, I got to a point where I said, I'm going to start being more picky about the clients that I take on. And that was the first step. I said, I'm not just going to take on any client for the financial gain. I'm going to start being picky about who I take on. And I started being a little more reserved. Then I said, you know what? I'm not going to sit here and just go on reputation alone. I'm going to build a set of tools so that if it's somebody that I don't feel like I make a connection with, I can still provide them with some tools so that they can have something to lean on to be successful, right? So then I started building these toolkits and I called it giving back. I said, this is going to be my way to give back. You know, I'm going to create these toolkits. And I started creating different white papers and different toolkits and different graphs and charts and things to help people. And then that morphed into maybe I should just do a podcast each day because everyone always says, you're such a master, masterful storyteller. Do a podcast. 
So I started doing a podcast, you know, 850 episodes later, right? It's one of these things where I'm just like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. Because I mean, if you would have told me on day one, the first day I recorded that podcast, that I'd be at 850 episodes, I would have said, you're crazy again. That was one of those things I was going to do for a year. And I think the last piece of the puzzle happened when I took a step away and I said, I don't have to be making money this week. I want to go swim with my daughter. I don't have to be making money this week. You know what I want to do, Vandy? I want to go outside and I want to ride on my riding lawnmower and cut the grass. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna look at my phone and answer email the entire time I'm out there cutting grass. I'm just gonna go cut the grass like a normal human being would. And when I started having these, <laughs> you're gonna laugh. I call them out of body experiences, <laughs> where where I saw myself doing. The, I actually visualized myself cutting the grass. I visualized myself in the pool. I visualized myself. Mm -hmm taking a break. I visualize myself having some downtime. I visualize myself giving back. And the more that I leaned into those visualizations, the more that I leaned into making those things a reality, the more I leaned into, if I can do this another way to help somebody else, then that's going to help me have, you know, long-term uh, prosperity as opposed to just this short-term, you know, gain. Mm -hmm. And now it's it's kind of funny because I find myself now saying no to a lot more things than I ever have in my entire life. I find myself enjoying every single engagement that I go on. Uh, I find myself inserting music and happiness and joy and dance parties into everything that I do. And I love to, I still have that, I still have that love for going on stage and for, you know, there's nothing warmer than hearing you know, the applause of an audience when you're finished. But it's not because I did a good job. I look at it and say it's because they gained a tool. They gained something. And um, I find myself now consistently telling people that the courses that I teach or the presentations that I give, they're life-changing. But they're not life-changing in a sense that you're going to be a totally different person the second you walk out. They're life-changing because they're going to plant seeds that are going to help you somewhere else along your journey. Uh, where you won't need to rely on someone else or where you'll discover something or where you'll know something. You'll be like, where did I learn that from? And and those are the things that I try to do now. And what I found is that more and more people are coming to me saying, this is an experience that I've never had anywhere else before. Even a regular classroom certification turns into a therapy session, if you will, right? It turns into, what can we do to help improve the quality of our relationships with people that we work with? What can we do to help improve the quality of the relationships that we have with our senior leadership? What can we do to team build and, and not the cheesy team building, you know, let's all pick a number between one and 10 and use that many index cards to build a paper airplane. What? You know, I, th there's cheese team building and then there's real team building. And what I found is when you get to the point where it's not about how much money you make. When you get to the point where it's not about what, you know, uh, what accolade you're going to get for the conclusion. When it's when it's not about what you can do to improve your business or grow. The second you say, "I'm not going to focus on growth anymore," you grow. Mm. <laughs> the second you say all the time, and people, but this is so hard to accept. Yeah. Or like, what do you mean? If I'm not going to force this, what do you mean is going to grow? How? It just How? happens. <laughs> it just happens. And, and I think that, and I said this, and this is going to bring us almost all the way full circle. One of the first things I said was, 
to be a leader, you need to lose yourself in the service of others. And when you figure out how to serve other people, when you figure out that climbing a ladder was important, but I, instead of counting the number of steps to the top, I needed to look back and count the number of steps that I took and how many hands I stepped on along the way and make sure I was healing those wounds mm -hmm. and reaching back and helping other people come up that ladder with me. And that was refreshing. When I reached back and I helped the first person up the ladder and the person walked past me, right? Successful career, walked past me, sold their, build, sold their business for multiple million dollars. Just saying, I'm just saying, wait a minute. I just, I just pushed you up the ladder. But that person has since reached back and said, I could have never done it without the help of Lee. And it was one of those things where, you know, the fulfillment came from the grace more than it came from the action. Does that make sense? Does that resonate? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we don't understand how to accept a gift or accept appreciation as a leader, especially in our workspace mm -hmm. or our community. Uh, but I also feel like we don't know how to properly give. Uh, a lot of times we like to give for the sake of having a picture after or shaking a person's hand, you know, with our arm around them, you know, kind of thing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. If that's the end goal, then you're not giving for the right reason, right? You know, I like to get to the point to where I give and the person doesn't even know I've done it. And when you can get to that point where you can just put yourself in a position of whether it's it doesn't have to be financial, just giving something that no one would expect. It's it's uh, in the words of my oldest daughter. She says, I like to generate magic for people. Sometimes I like to create magic. And she says, you know, it, it could be something simple, just a magic moment. You know, she owns a little business on the Internet and she says, if someone orders something, sometimes I'll just throw something extra in there, you know, just to make their day. And yeah. um, and it, it's one of those things now that it doesn't happen all the time. But when she does it, you know, people recognize it. And they're like, that's just the coolest thing ever. And, you know, I looked at her and I'm like, where'd you learn that from? <laughs> right. And it's just one of those things. And I don't want her to say, oh, I learned it from you. She didn't. She learned it from just being a rock solid individual. And I think that that's the last thing that helped me. Uh, when I went through this journey in my 20s and 30s and you know, getting up to about 40, I needed to realize that I wasn't responsible for everything that happened to all those around me. I'm going to say that one more time. I wasn't responsible for everything that happened to all those around me. I mean, I needed to be a strong leader and I needed to have empathy and I needed to love. But people could still choose a different path. People could still choose to do things differently. People could choose to connect or not connect. And I needed to be okay with that. And that probably was the hardest part of my journey because when I finally discovered that my joy came from fulfillment of uplifting and doing extra and going the extra mile. And there were some people who said, yeah, that's great. Thanks. Anyway, not interested. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean not interested? What do I need to do? And then the fuel changed, right? The fuel flipped back to, what do you mean not interested? What do we need to do? You? I turned into Tony Robbins for a moment. And then <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized that's not the fuel I need, right? And it's funny because I, I don't remember her name, but I do remember the episode you're talking about where you're talking about what fuels you. And I think that what we don't understand sometimes is that different fuels burn at different rates, right? And I think that when you're using fear, hatred, anger, when you're using these tools to propel you to do better, to make someone resent where you are, whatever the case may be, 
that those tools burn really, really fast. That fuel just, it's temporary and it burns super fast. When you fuel things with love, it's like the oil on the lamp. It it lasts a little longer, right? And it's just one of those things. And, And I think the beauty of it is not only does it last longer, but it provides a light that you can share with others. And I think that we need to stop thinking about our fuel as gasoline or jet fuel or racing fuel. We need to start thinking about our fuel as oil on a lamp. And if you can do that, um, it's it's time that we just take the fabric of our stories and intertwine it with the fabric of other people's stories and create a tapestry that's called life. And I think that when we start setting aside all the differences that we have and stop looking at people who are different race, different gender, different belief system, who they love, who they worship, none of that should matter. When we start looking at people as individuals of great worth and just recognize the talents that they have, that's when we can create that beautiful tapestry called life. And that's when we can really understand. And I think that's when you reach that point in your career where you're able to genuinely guide others, where you have become the mentor and the leader that's able to you know, step past all those outside things and not let the outside world influence you because there's so many, ne- so much negativity and so many things that happen in the outside world that if we let that guide us, we're in trouble. We need to figure out a way to filter out all those outside things and just really focus on that inner strength that we've been blessed with, that the universe has provided for us, that, that love, that, that inner courage, that inner strength that's going to help us help others grow. And that's when you can tap into this fuel that just can't be explained. It's almost like candle wax. It's, it's something that without proper, without proper air around it, without proper space, candle doesn't burn properly. But if you trim the wick and you take care of it and you take care of yourself physically and spiritually and you keep your wick trimmed and you keep the right space around you, you can be a light of love for others and you can provide warmth and you can do all those things. But we have to get our mindset shift from being jet fuel to being a lamp or a candle to slow burns where it's at. I, I love that. And I also do want to say that it's a journey and it's not to make the toxic fuel wrong if it's that's what's fueling you at the moment, right? Because it's, yeah. it's a part of the life experience. Um, you don't know, you might have not experienced the other yet, right? Because I feel like once you do, you, you see how much greater it is. And right. um, so... If, let's say, crappy things have happened to you mm-hmm. or you've experienced them, um, use that to build a different life for yourself. You know, it's, it can be helpful. And again, I love everything you're saying. And at the same time, I know there's going to be people who are going to be like, well, you know, it's easy for you to say now, like, you've, you've achieved the successes. You, you've got the financial stability. You know, you know, you have a family, things seem to be beautiful on a surface. And of course, no one actually knows the depths and, and, and what's actually mm-hmm. happening in the soul, though. If we could give some practical advice yep. of, for the newer entrepreneurs, business owners, where they're at, they, you know what, and I'm not going to make it wrong. They, they want to make financial success mm-hmm. in their business. They, you know what, they're like, they love money and they want to make money. And yes, for themselves, many people who I spoke to as well, they're like, I also want to donate to charity. And they're like, I'm ready to make money. What, why isn't it happening for them? I know you cannot give a generalistic advice. You don't know what's going on, but many people do get stuck at a certain level. 
it's again i'm as i'm saying this out loud i don't know what advice i would give without a specific use case like you've been the growth journey you've been through the growth journey like what Mm -hmm. does it take from being a smaller business to growing and growing and growing and really having suddenly this big company that can extend all this love and light right and and i do have a piece of advice and it is tangible advice um so Many people here in America are familiar with a financial expert. His name is Dave Ramsey. And Dave Ramsey talks about Financial Peace University and getting out of debt. And the big thing he says is you need to understand how to govern and manage debt. Now, where am I going with this? The tangible piece of advice that I would give to a young entrepreneur or someone who's trying to build their business is that if the quest for your financial stability is causing you to have more debt than the positive financial side, then you're building it wrong. And when I say debt, I'm not just talking about financial debt. If you, in your quest for the highest pay scale possible within your within your business sense or within your business realm, if you want to accelerate and be the best entrepreneur over X Y Z, if you want to be the best person, the best person in the textile industry or the you know the financial services industry or whatever it might be, right? You want to be that best person. There's nothing wrong with a quest for financial stability. Nothing at all. There's nothing wrong with a quest for financial freedom, which is a step above financial security, right? There's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with a quest to be debt-free. But if the debt that you're incurring is spiritual debt, if it's emotional debt, if it's debt that's going to take you a lot longer to repay back than just the amount of money that you're making, because there's no amount of money in the world that's going to buy you the happiness of that slow burn that we were talking about before. You could have immense amounts of wealth. I mean, think about it this way. There are many people who play and win the lottery and they win hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars. And these people blow it all or they're not happy or they'll, they'll buy a house. They usually end up in divorce relationships. They buy a house and, and uh, they buy the car their dreams, and then they just go sit and whittle and waste their money somewhere, and, and they never have happiness. And it doesn't matter how much money they get to charity. It doesn't matter how much. They just don't have that fulfillment. So my practical advice for someone who's starting as an entrepreneur is this, and it sounds silly because it's so outdated. Balance your checkbook. What do I mean by that? Every time you have a financial gain, find a way to take at least 10% of that financial gain and give it back to something that you care about. Find a way every time you have some type of financial step that you take a small portion, for me it's 10%, and find a way to give it back to something that matters to you. Because if you can swing the pendulum the other way and do something that's making a difference, whether it's in your local community, whether it's within your church, whether it's within whatever it is, that balancing of the checkbook, where you're not just so dedicated and focused on the soaring financial gain, but you're focused on what impact you can make as you achieve financial gain and realize that have the humility to go to a soup kitchen and serve food, have the humility to, to go to a homeless shelter and hand out, you know, whatever they have there, you know, find, you know, put, put together hygiene packs to carry in your car. And if you see someone on the side of the road, stop and give them one, right? Take advantage of these financial gains that you have. And I'm not saying take everything you have and give it away, but take 10% and give it back. Because what you got to realize is when you die, you can't take it with you anyway. So I always say invest 40%, take 10% with you, set aside 20% for taxes, 
and then take the rest of that money and reinvest it for growth. And if you can follow that formula, then you can be a successful entrepreneur. And that, and that, by the way, Vendi, is the one piece of advice that I wish someone would have given me walking into this. If someone would have given me that piece of advice, I feel like everything else would have been a lot easier. But because I was so focused on growth, I didn't focus on providing for myself. I didn't focus on providing for myself spiritually. I didn't focus on helping others. Mm -hmm. And I failed for a long time. And when I say failed, I wasn't failing. I just didn't accelerate as fast as I could have because I didn't take the time to recognize the other needs that I had to do. Yeah. Just generosity. It is. It's, you hear about this everywhere, right? And I love, you know, obviously Tony Robbins, I feel like he repeats this all the time, right? If you, if you don't give 10 cents from a dollar, like, why do you think you're going to give your 10% from your million, right? You're not. Um, yeah. And it just, and it does fill your heart immensely. And it's almost potentially a way of tapping into that different fuel, you know? You knew exactly I where I was going. <laughs> I, what I want to mention is actually, even before the last year, whenever I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, why am I doing this? You know, because you will. And I first of all, wished for everyone to get to the financial level until they want to get to. Mm -hmm. To then have the realization, finances by no means will fill your heart, right? Mm -hmm. And my way, and I still remember this of let's say getting myself back into the business because I was like, what's the point? Like it just this is this is not it. I can already tell you, you know. Right. Um, the way I could get myself back is by I actually created charity events, and I was like, I'm gonna do this LinkedIn workshop for two hours. I'm gonna do this event, do all that, and we donate everything. And for the moment, it wasn't about me. And it wasn't about, I'm putting this post because it's me, me, me. But it was like, oh, no, I have to show up every single day because we're raising money for this cause or for that cause. It's for them. Like, what do you mean? Like, there's no getting stuck into your head. Suddenly, like, that drive came back. The energy came back. It was like, I'm so excited. to I'm going to be, like, talking everywhere on YouTube. Like, everywhere. We're raising this money for whether it's sometimes Easter or Christmas or sometimes just in the middle of summer because mm -hmm. we want to. Like, it gives you... Oh, if you are in a kind of a painful place spiritually, it can give you just, it's going to remind you of that love and that type of fuel and actually how amazing giving feels. And then you're, it's going to also fuel your own business because you're like, actually, I do remember why I started this because sometimes you can forget, like it was about people. It was. And I think sometimes too, when you give, it helps you recognize when others have given to you. Mm. And I think that's something that we forget too, right? That sometimes we don't even recognize when others have gone out of their way to do something for us. Or, or sometimes here, I'm even going to go here. Sometimes we don't accept the gift from others that they're trying to give to us. So the example I have of this is pretty incredible. There was a time where I felt like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm in this giving back phase and I'm doing as much as I can and I'm giving back. And I'll never forget it. There was a lady at my church who uh, her and her husband were sleeping in their van because they couldn't afford the rent of a house. But she was going to uh, a gathering of just different families from the church. And she said that um, she had put aside enough money and she wanted to cook lasagna. And uh, she was going to cook lasagna for this event. 
And I was like, oh, yeah. You know, I said, well, you know, give me the receipt. I'll pay for all the ingredients. You know, I said, I'll make sure you have what you need. You know, I don't want to put you out or whatever. She's like, no, no. She goes, no, no, I got this. And I'm like, okay. You know, so I go and I show up at this house. And I got to be honest. When I walked in, I expected this lasagna to be probably the worst lasagna I've ever had. Right. You know, with inferior ingredients, sauce from a jar. You know, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, oh, this is going to be terrible. I tried this lasagna and it might have been the best lasagna I've ever eaten. And I turned around and I said, this lasagna is so good. And she says, oh, do you want the recipe? She goes, or better yet, if you buy the ingredients, she says, I'll come to your house one time and I'll cook it. And I said, oh, no, 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 you, you don't have to do that. It's all good. And now looking back, I remember how sad the look was on her face when I said that. Mm. And what I did was I cheated her out of an opportunity to serve at the capacity mm -hmm. that she could. And when I had the ability to recognize that, you know, not only did I turn around and say, hey, you know what? It was just bad timing. You know, it wasn't a good time for us. Let me know another time when you're ready and we'll make that lasagna, right? It, it's just, and as silly as that sounds, those moments where we give someone else the opportunity to serve us, even if we're in that giving phase and you recognize those opportunities and allow people to have those moments, that's another piece of this growth process. And I think that's a piece oftentimes people overlook because they feel like they want to be in a point where they're giving and they want to accelerate their financial stability by giving more. And they don't give other people a chance to climb on that first rung of the ladder or the second rung of the ladder, right? They're literally pushing a person off the ladder. No, no, I'll climb up the ladder for you. You don't need to climb up the ladder. It'll be better if you stay here, right? And and I think that sometimes we need to recognize that's happening and take action. Yeah. It's, I guess, similar to not just entrepreneurs, people in general. When someone compliments you, when someone wants to do something for you, we're oftentimes run away. We're like, no, no, no. I got this. A certain level of control. A certain level. We maybe think we're being good people for, like, not wanting to burden someone. And, right. You know, when, yeah, allow allow generosity it's i mean don't we want to live in that type of a world you know that just sounds beautiful the whole concept of the widow's might if you let people give what they can then the rest of the blessing will come tenfold right it's just it's one of those things where you have to let people give what they can and sometimes it seems so minimal and it seems so and what you need to recognize and understand is that if that's the best that this person has then someone will meet them along the way in, in that journey and the, and, and the journey is going to be incredible for both you and them if you can extend that hand of fellowship and let them know how much you appreciate. And, and you know, Vendi, appreciate is one of my reserved words. Uh, if you can express how much you appreciate what that meant to you so that that person can know walking away, how much different would that experience have been for me? If not only did I let her cook the lasagna, but I took that recipe and I laminated it and I put it in my recipe book. And I let her know how much I appreciate the time and effort that she put into making that lasagna. Mm. It would have made her day better. It would have made my day better. But at the time, you know, it was a foreign concept. But now I recognize and I understand. And I think that's the key. The key to being a successful entrepreneur, entrepreneur, the key to owning your own business, the key to building, the key to building your palace, the key to building your empire is to understand these different grow principles, these growth principles that'll come to you. And there's, there's one last one that came to me that I just thought of. And this concept is also probably, this, this is the one that happens right before you feel success. This is like 
when you're on the last rung of the ladder about to climb to that chair at the top, right? So you're right there in that last rung and you'll have continuous growth, but this is when you finally get to the chair, right? It's when you stop saying no to things and you start with these three words. I call these the three most powerful words. And this is another workshop that I give. The three most powerful words in the English language are help me understand. And it's one of those things where when someone comes to you and it's a crazy idea or someone comes to you and it just doesn't sound like it's something you're interested in. Or when someone comes to you and they're, they're trying to tell you about something that's important to them, instead of just going, yeah, okay, that's great. You know, sometimes it's better to say, that sounds really interesting. Help me understand how this came to be or help me understand how we got to this point. Help me understand. And in business, I use it all the time. Help me understand. You know, that sounds like an incredible idea. Help me understand where we're going to get the funding for that project. Help me understand what other project we're going to have to set aside to get this project done. Help me understand how this is going to help. Help me understand how this is going to align with our North Star. How is this going to help us achieve a certain vision or strategy? Because I'm all about having a goal. (laughs) I'm all about moving in one direction, right? Uh, And I was going to try to see how many boy bands I can name there in one segment. I was going to say it's all about being in one direction and being in sync with one another. Because we don't want to wind up being a new kid on a block. We want to. You're getting to know a link here, you guys. <laughs> we want to be. We want to be BTS. No, uh, but it's the music thing, right? Uh-huh. But it's one of those things where if you understand that part of the journey and you understand their part of the journey, sometimes they'll say something that will inspire you. Sometimes they'll say something that will uplift you. Uh, it reminds me, it was Nelson Mandela's grandson who uh, attended a tribal council, a tribal council with him. And during a tribal council, uh, it was scheduled to last 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, Nelson Mandela and his grandson were there for an hour. And Nelson Mandela had not spoken one word in the entire hour. And his grandson looked at him and was like, aren't you going to take control of this? Aren't you going to say something? Aren't you going to do something? And Nelson Mandela looked at him and smiled and leaned over to him and said, I want to make sure that I'm the last to speak. Because if anyone here has a better idea than I do, I want to make sure I hear it first. He says, because the moment I stop and speak, everyone else is just going to do whatever I say. Hmm. Leadership. That ties back to leadership. When you take the time to understand everything that's going on around you, and then you process the information, that's leadership. When you step in and believe that leadership is doing whatever's necessary to push faster to get to the top of the ladder, that's when you really don't understand what leadership really is. And it's going to slow you down because you're going to have to step down a couple of rungs and then step back up a couple of rungs. It's really going to slow down your progress. If you want to really shoot like a rocket to the top of the ladder, sometimes it's taking things as slow as you need to to make sure you understand the positives and negatives about what's happening so that you can move comfortably in the direction you need to go while you're still able to do that 10% and help others. And I think if you couple all those things together, it, it's it's the recipe. I tell people all the time, you can't make good gumbo without a recipe, right? I mean, I can. But but if you, if you don't have a good recipe, if you're going to put tomato sauce in your gumbo, that's like a sin. You can't do that. You got to have the right ingredients. But even if I give you the perfect ingredients, you still have to know how to prepare those ingredients. And I think that's the piece that's missing. I'm loving this. Absolutely enjoy this conversation. I love that we got into service. I love that we got into this different fuel, which when you discover, it lights yourself up, it lights others up, your community, where you want to see the world. And this is what 
this is actually what I say when people come to me and they're like, oh, you know, they, they want to build their thought leadership. And I was like, what do leaders do? They serve. That's what we do. That's really the only way to do it. I agree. It becomes about the community and service to them, you know, and it can be for some monetary, you're saying 10%. And for some, it can be the lasagna. It's your service. And it's beautiful. I think we all need to discover our inner lasagna. <laughs> I love it. We'll end on that note. Lee, thank you so much for today. I so appreciate you. I appreciate this conversation. Oh, so yummy. I loved it. Thank you, Vendy. Thanks for having me. And thanks for being amazing. And thanks for being who you are. I think that when I talked about that candle, I know that you have a love for candles. And <laughs> when I talked about that candle, I just pictured you as that candle at one point that you're trying hard to use this podcast to be a light and a, a source of love for others. And I think that that's going to make you a greater person, but along the journey, I think that you're going to uplift so many people. So thanks for doing this because it really is an act of love. Thank you. Appreciate you saying that. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much. And everyone who's listening and watching, we'll see you in the next episode. Take care.